0: Hello, if you're a Christian who is struggling with OCD, I wanted to offer some additional support this summer. On Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time in June and July, over eight sessions, I'm going to be providing a teaching time, a learning experience where you can come learn about managing your stress level, dealing with uncertainty, catching that first obsession before it becomes a loop, Dealing with disengaging from physical, mental compulsions, scrupulosity, shame, really any questions that you want to bring to these times I'm open to talking about that have to do with your faith and OCD journey. The most exciting part is that you do not have to be in Tennessee to come. So even if you're in another state in the U.S. or somewhere else in the world and you are able to tune in at that time, you're certainly welcome to do so. For more information, go to buythewellcounseling.com. I look forward to seeing you there. Hope for Anxiety and OCD, Episode 20. If this is your first time with us, we are all about reducing shame, increasing hope, and developing healthier connections with God and others. You can find us online anytime at ocd.com. Today's show has a special disclaimer that it may be distressing for some listeners. And if you have little ears listening, you may want to stop the recording and pick this up at another time when there aren't children in the room. I have an interview to share with you that I did with Kelly Alert. We talk about something that I believe the church doesn't talk enough about and that's sex. Sex is an amazing and wonderful thing, but a lot of times there are mixed up messages that we receive from a variety of sources. So we're gonna talk about those on the show and we're also gonna talk about sexual dysfunction for women specifically. What happens when things go wrong in the bedroom? What do you do about it? How to get help and hope for these situations? And Kelly was open enough to share some of her personal story, which I think just adds to what she does professionally, which we'll get to a little bit later. So let's dive into the interview. Today on the show, we have Kelly Alert, and we're going to get into what you do a little bit later. We're going to maybe leave people in suspense for just a little bit to have this conversation about some of the messages that we receive Um, in the media about sex, through watching TVs and movies, but also in the church, some of the conversations surrounding sex and baggage that women specifically can have from some of those messages and also experiences with sex maybe that weren't positive, because not everybody has a stellar positive experience with sex. Do you want to talk a little bit, maybe, about like your background or your experience, like in the church, just in general, and then surrounding these messages?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. So, I grew up really conservative. I grew up Church of Christ. I grew up outside of DC, so not quite the Bible Belt, but where sex was off the table. You did not do that till you got married. I heard things on the bus and behind the bleachers. You know, you hear all sorts of sorts of things. And I don't think I quite understood until later. And I will say my mom was a nurse and I remember asking her about a blowjob and why would somebody like that? And I, like, I remember asking things. I don't think I felt particularly shameful, but I also didn't know what to ask or why certain things were. I went to Lipscomb, my husband and I met and we waited to get married. And a lot of his background, I think was the same. You'd You meet, you wait, and then you figure it out once you get married, right? It's kind of what we were joking about in email is we're supposed to know what we do once we get married. There's some magical thing that happens and your brain and your body know exactly what to do. When in reality, it's kind of a learned thing. Some of it's innate. There's arousal and there's a certain procedure that your body goes through. But I think as women, ours depends on context a lot more than I think we realized. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I think my messages were similar. I had messages in the church that were, no, 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 until you get married. And then somehow when you get married, it's kind of like, well, you know, sex is good. All of a sudden, this whole thing that I built up this idea around that maybe it was bad or shameful or just not even knowing what to expect. And then all of a sudden it's like, like woohoo, your wedding night's supposed to be amazing and everything they're following. And I had a really hard time in my first marriage trying to make that shift and switch of even seeing myself as a sexual being. Yeah. I didn't. And then from the school system, there was a lot of fear messages around sex and a lot of anxiety. Like you could get an STD, like you can get pregnant, something awful (laughs) is going to happen to you if you have sex. So there was not really a lot of like positive lingo about some of the things that we want to talk about. Like God created us, women and men, as sexual beings um, I had someone tell me when I was newly married. They said, "Yeah, our parents talk about sex was kind of Adam and Eve figured it out, and you can too." <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: and there's so much more than that. Like, it right, should be, it should be so much more. And I think opening the conversation up earlier with your partner, your spouse, rather than later, is more beneficial. But I mean, we have to be enlightened to the idea of that communication needs to happen. Like it, you know, I think we just assume we, we put our assumptions on them when, you know, my husband and I've talked through quite a bit. I'm a physical therapist and we'll get into some more of that, but I had a lot of issues after I had my daughter and there were several things that the things that I didn't like about myself, he had to tell me, Kelly, I don't care or that's like, I still love you despite that. So I think a lot of the things, kind of what I said a minute ago about the context is we sabotage ourselves, assuming that what we don't like about our ourselves is something that they pick apart when in reality, it may be something they enjoy about us or it may be something they don't even think about. Like, mm-hmm.
0: It's not like even on the radar. One of the things that bothers me about movies and TV shows is there's this idea or this message that you can just hop into bed with anyone at any old time and have great, amazing sex. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter if you haven't known them before today. You can have amazing sex that evening and you're all wrapped up in the sheets and it's, it's wonderful. And I think that that puts a lot of pressure on people to feel like Okay, so then what happens if it doesn't work that way for me? What happens if I start to, maybe there's something wrong with me that I'm not able to do this thing that I feel like everybody else is engaging in and they're having a pleasurable experience. So let's talk a little bit about like some of the um, common sexual in- issues that women face.
1: Okay, Um in I guess in my field a lot of when I get folks is more postpartum because I think that's when people are around that area even if it was an area that was you know very secluded you know you have a baby and all of a sudden everybody's messing with your stuff and um, so it makes it okay to to kind of get things checked so generally I see postpartum pain with intercourse either penetration just that initial touch and even deeper. I've had some, it's called vaginismus, where it's like the vaginal canal and even everything around it, it's almost like it shrinks up or tightens up. So anything uh, around that region, that whole vulvar region gets super sensitive to touch. And a lot of it's kind of mental with it too, because the body knows it's going to hurt. So if anybody messes with anything or even just sitting, the body tends to cringe and further further feed into that so we've got to work usually with one of you guys a counselor to work through some some of the why and I've seen fractured tailbones postpartum where you know the pelvic floor is attached to the tailbone and it hurts with intercourse that way I guess mainly kind of to answer your question I see a lot more pain driven driven issues and then the causes can be different but there can also be a lack of orgasm. Um, if the pelvic floor is really, really weak, an orgasm is just a contraction of the pelvic floor. So there's less sensation, less sense of Ooh, that feels good. And so if it doesn't feel good, then why do it? And we kind of go down that rabbit hole. But I'd say the biggest factor and what statistically we see is just a lack of desire due to stress you know, your body's chased by a lion all day long. (laughs) Why would it want to have sex when it's still in that stress mode? And I think all of us can identify with that over the last year where we're just not in our typical state of mind and workplace. And Yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit about um, what you do, and then we'll talk a little bit further about that, about those responses in the body.
1: Yeah. So as a physical therapist, my, my background is an orthopedic physical therapist first. I'm board certified in that. So anything next, backs, jaws, teeth, excuse me, not teeth. Um, <laughs> I don't deal with teeth. That's somebody else. But jaws, neck, shoulders, any kind of joint. But then also with my kids, I went down the women's health path. So that's an, an extra... Um, extra coursework to look at the internal aspect of the pelvic floor and the pelvic floor is just the insides of your pelvis. So it's the muscles that help control your pee and your poo. It's the muscles that allow you to have pleasure with sexual intercourse or anything around that. It's the muscles that help stabilize your pelvis. And it's the group of muscles that also help you kind of support all your organs up and in. So this part of our body, I never realized how important it was. And I think it's just it's just a part of our body that i appreciate a lot more after having kids but when you realize what it does for us it's it's amazing of, of you know you don't realize when something is working well <laughs> how much it does until it stops working and you start noticing leaking or pain or um heaviness or issues with jumping that kind of stuff
0: that makes a lot of a lot of sense so do you usually get referrals from say obgyns who are um, know that their patients are having issues and they would benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. Yeah,
1: um, and most recently, you know, I started off more cash pay model. Um, we're starting to delve into some of the insurance, but most of my clients find me through word of mouth. I have very few referring practitioners. If they are, then it's Kairos and Pilates and massage therapists because they're dealing with that population and. Honestly, a lot of us, I think our generation, the 30s and below, are a lot more proactive. So there's a lot more uh, looking and searching in this topic, this conversation is way less taboo than the generations prior to us. So I think most of my ladies have found me because they've asked questions or they're on Instagram. So yes and no, I would say a lot more word of mouth in the last six, eight months than Like general providers, like orthopedists and that kind of thing, um, because I am a smaller practice owner. But yes, that in the bigger groups, that's where they get a lot of their clients.
0: How do people know if they might be a good candidate for this type of therapy?
1: So there's actually a really good screen that I have on my website. And it's, I mean, anything from pain with prolonged sitting, sciatica pain with intercourse, like we mentioned, uh, any leakage, even like abdominal pain and discomfort. If you have constipation, all that pertains to the women's health physical therapy world. Issues with breathing, any abdominal surgery, I think would be good because what we're finding is there's a high correlation with abdominal surgeries, even um, uh, abdominoplasties. That scar can adhere down and we get I think it's like as high as 40% chance of bladder irritation, like bladder issues and then bowel obstructions. So there's a wide plethora of things that we kind of see and work on. Yeah.
0: Let's kind of circle back to that, talking about the nervous system response and this stress response that keeps us perhaps out of desire, I guess is what you were saying. Like if we're really ramped up, it's hard for us to to have a desire to engage sexually.
1: Mm -hmm. So I guess the best, you know, I'm going to bring this book up. You guys can't see it, but there's a book called Come As You Are by Emily uh, Nagoski. I can never say her name. And it's almost 400 pages, but she really talks a lot of levels on one, know your anatomy, which is probably the biggest thing being on this side of it is if you don't know, yourself how are you going to expect somebody else to know you too but that that's kind of first and foremost but she talks a lot about the stress cycle and how we how we either feed into it or how we can work out of it when your body is in that constant fight flight or freeze or if it's had a trauma and that's more what your kind of world is I feel like you can probably speak more to that whether you recognize it or not the body holds that trauma or there's usually something Mechanical that occurs, whether you consciously or subconsciously recognize that feeds in. So when you're in that constant stress mode, your body's in fight, that fight, flight, or freeze, your body's in survival mode. It doesn't need to procreate, it needs to survive. So, like you said, the last right. thing we need is to go have an intimate moment. Now, for some, 10 to 20%, according to Emily's book, that actually drives sex. Like that's a turn on for them, where the rest of us, the 80 to 90% of us, that's a turn off. When our brain is busy, we're on that hamster wheel, we can't kind of actively uh, maybe enjoy and participate as much. And as a female, that's really what, there is no pink Viagra, because we are so context dependent. It, we need the sounds, we need the smells, we need the kids in bed, we need to be loved on, like we need all these things usually in order for that switch to really go off. And she has a really cool worksheet in there on figuring out what turns your brakes on and what turns your, your accelerator on. And stress for most of us is a really big brake, step on her, where it just, your system just dies down. And that's the last thing it kind of needs. We've just got to figure out how to break that cycle. I think
0: that's interesting because I have had women say, well, I just don't want to, but they have a hard time maybe even being aware or breaking down some of these different aspects of things that keep them in that that fight, flight, or freeze mm-hmm. mode, or they're so used to just living in that heightened state. And I don't know what your experience has been, but I don't think it always has to be a sexual trauma to oh, cause yeah. these types of dysfunctions. It can be other um, types of situations that were maybe chaotic in your family growing up that leads you to be in that state, and that may affect you sexually.
1: Yeah, even just your assumptions, kind of going back to our conversation about maybe our preconceived notions in her book, she talks a lot about gardens, like your, your sexuality is your garden and our society and our culture and our family puts all these little weeds in there. And we have to figure out what, what within that garden is truly what we believe and what was planted there by however we live and whatever we live. And so I wrote this down because it kind of helps me I guess, break things down and help me identify personally and then professionally where I, where I believe. So she talks a lot about, there's three types of messages. There's moral, a medical message and the media message. And so kind of going back to what you said is it doesn't matter where you are just identifying. I think what your beliefs are is huge. So she talked about one of the moral messages being we're damaged goods. Like if you have sex or you like it and you lose your virginity, then you've lost all value. Like that's, you know, maybe a century old mindset of, once you give yourself away, nobody else is going to want you. You just need to accommodate your partner. I feel like, what's the movie right now on Bridgerton? I don't know if you ever watched Netflix. Uh, uh. It's kind of a, their whole role in society is to appease the male and make him feel good. It has nothing to do with what the female's body is wanting to do. You just check that box. And the other one is the medical model where it's you can cause damaged goods. Like you said, you can cause STDs and you can cause pregnancy. And it's just very medical where you get this and this and you get aroused and you ejaculate and then you're done, but there's no emotion and there's no, and then the third message is around the media where you're inadequate. You don't know what you're doing. If you don't know 15 different ways to have an orgasm or 15 different positions in in which feels good to you and your partner and And so it's all these, you know, you're too fat, you're too skinny. There's all these little messages that feed in to, I think, what we, once again, we sometimes can sabotage ourselves. I think we take the enjoyment out of it because we assume that I shouldn't enjoy it. It should be for him. Or society says, if I enjoy it, I'm a slut. Like we put these names to it, but why, you know, why, why is that? And I don't know, (laughs) I don't know the answer. I think just identifying the thought maybe important in the in the beginning i think
0: a lot of times yeah a lot of times we don't evaluate what the messaging has been and so then if we have negative messaging It's important for us to say, what am I putting in that's different into my mind? And hopefully something like this is a start to that to help people evaluate, well, what is it that I really believe about sex? What have I taken from the media, from morally, from the church, from my family, from the kids behind the bleachers? And some of that information (laughs) is way off of where we need to be. Yeah, I'm curious for you, like how you shifted your thought process maybe on sex or had a more positive view of sex.
1: Yeah. So definitely more of a personal conversation, but I think a lot of it is going through that book. And then I think going through, you know, I had a lot of pain after my daughter with intercourse and telling my husband, no, or being, being able to say no gave me more power than, than I think I realized I had. Hmm. But then I remember asking the doctor about it and she's like, oh, well, that's just typical, rub some cream on it. And this was eight, 10 years ago before I think my world, the pelvic health world became so popularized, I guess in the last four to five years, I would hope in the next five years, we're a personal on a defense postpartum. They clear you and then you come to see us for anything else. But I think being able to shift that mindset of it doesn't have to be penis and vagina intimacy. It can be anything else. Like sex doesn't always have to be. And you don't have to necessarily get off. You don't have like being able to to talk through, I just don't want it tonight or, mm-hmm. or being okay. Cause I think I went a long time with, well, he needs to initiate it. Like that's just the man's role. He needs to want it in order for me to be okay with it. And you know, there's, I have another couple stats here, but 30% of people are responsive in that you're male. I'm well, we'll say male and female. My husband comes to me 30% of the time. I, I respond to that only 15% of us are, are like spontaneous where it's like, Ooh, I want sex. Like, let's go get him." And then the rest <laughs> of us are like, Ooh, I kind of want it. Ooh, but he's there. But like, it's a combo of the situation, what he's doing. And then, but I, I think for me, recognizing that he wants me to want him, <laughs> like he likes that pursuit as well. And a massaging is good. Like touch, just being able to be okay with not just jumping into bed. And maybe I was just super, super rigid in my beliefs. And it was like, give him what he needs and get out <laughs> and go rent out. You know, like, I don't know. We've we've been able to um, talk through some stuff and then be maybe more, I don't want to say more experimental, whatever, but being more open with trying different things.
0: I always tell clients, and I'm curious if you agree with this from the medical side of your work, I really believe that great sex requires great communication. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to have those conversations, even if they're hard or even if they're uncomfortable, to be able to say, hey, when you do this, that feels good. Or even just language that we use in the bedroom, you know, I like this type of wording and not that type of wording. Or these are some things that would be helpful for me to hear from you. and. If you're not able to have those conversations with your partner, I just don't think that you're going to be able to have this expectation that it's going to be great if you're not able to communicate and talk about what what you enjoy because different people obviously enjoy different
1: things. Yeah. And that was her her my one of my big takeaways from that book too is everybody's normal within their own realm. Um we all have similar anatomy, we all have similar Kind of patterns, you know, anatomically, we go through this typical pattern of arousal and, you know, on through, but we have different things that turn us on and turn us off. And you can't expect your spouse or partner to know what that is if you don't tell them, hey, when you do that, 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 like, that was good. Like, do that again. Like, they have to be told that. (laughs) Like a little kid, like, they, they go by your vibes and, your words. And so (laughs) the words aren't present, then you're not validating them or yourself, you know? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Where do
0: people start if they are noticing, you know, they're having sex maybe less and less often, and that might be a, a warning sign for them? Or what would be kind of like a good first step if they feel like their sexual relationship's declining?
1: I guess it would be kind of like you were saying is self-assess. Is it situational because something else has taken that place in terms of time or the stress? There are specific sex therapists out there. I don't, I have one friend that I will refer folks to, but I don't have anybody specific, so that may be better. But I would just, I mean, kind of stepping back to say, well, I noticed this and figure out, I always like finding the why with everything within the therapy world. It's like I can work your neck out, but if it's going to come back because you're posturally not correcting it, then kind of the same with this. It's, I think, backtracking to, is it because I just had a baby and everything hurts? Is it because your kids just stressed you out and you had to go pull them out of jail and you're in that fight, flight, or freeze? Is it just because you're tired? Is it hormonal? You know, like, what's what's driving the bus and um, and then from there it will be either um, probably finding the right practitioner to, to guide you in that direction. Um, sometimes it's talk therapy, sometimes it's a OBGYN or somebody that can give you a hormone replacement.
0: I think it's really important in these types of situations where this can happen for a lot of different areas, but specific we sexually, there may be some medical components involved, and then there may be some psychological components involved. And when we're looking at the situation, it's hard to assess what's medical and what's psychological and so I think that's it's important for the medical community and the counseling community to really work together for us to be able to say hey maybe you need to follow up with like a women's yeah. clinic or with your OBGYN about that and you know for the medical community to say hey has there been any trauma in your past is there anything that's been unaddressed that you feel like could be contributing to this issue Or like, do you just need some skills to learn how to calm your body down, to like learn how to wind down at the end of the day? Um, We're running 90 to nothing too often. And so really learning those skills is a good process.
1: I agree with that. And being able to, I have a lot of patients that I'll suggest things to, but nothing is going to change unless you actually try some things. And the consistency, you know, little goes a long way. So being consistent with whatever you're trying, like give give it enough time. But yes, going back to your medical model, there's some skin issues that can cause pelvic floor dysfunction, but that can, the skin issues can turn into cancer. So for me, being able to recognize, hey, this is not something that's within my scope. You need to go see some, you know, somebody beyond a therapist or a PT, you need to go get some medical treatments huge within our and I think mo- I would say most of us hopefully are able to determine some of that you know we've we got to get a good feeling in terms of um, when things are not going right but
0: what is the usual treatment length for someone that receives um, pelvic floor physical therapy
1: oh that's a loaded question <laughs>
0: It's like, like how long does it take somebody to go through therapy? It's probably similar. <laughs> depends yeah. right. well, it depends a lot on situation.
1: I would say most. Okay. So if it's more of an incontinent, like we'll just, let's say the pelvic floor is influenced by your GI system, your GU system, your endocrine system, your skin, you know, uh, musculoskeletal, your integument, like it has so many systems that cross up in and and through that I find that part of our body to be slower to learn than like a shoulder mm-hmm. or neck or something that you can physically see because there's so many other little factors that go in. But I usually see, I usually say two to three months for kind of some of the women's health issues. If it's postpartum, I'll encourage them, hey, a year and a half to two years for you to get back to normal, to feel normal. Not that they're with me the whole time, but just giving them that timeline of kind of biological tissue healing, that kind of stuff. But it also does depend on, do you need some psychological help? Can I physically help you here? And I show you how to mechanically help your body move better. But every time you're stressed, it feeds back in. How do we take that stressor away or help you recognize when you feed in? And is that talk therapy? Is that I'm the catalyst and I see you? A month or two, and then you go see somebody else and come back, and we revisit or see a doctor. There's a clinic downtown Nashville called the Wish Clinic, the Women's Institute for Sexual Health, and they they do quite a bit. They do pelvic floor bow, botox injections, trigger point injections. I've actually trigger point dry needled the pelvic floor. They do they do vaginal suppositories with Valium for kind of decreasing. There's a lot of options.
0: That's really good for people to know. Yeah, I mean, that's that really probably even if people have had problems in the past that they find reoccurring, that the growth in treatment options in this area, like you were saying, has probably grown exponentially in the last um, five or so years. I didn't know that they were using things like Botox for that.
1: Yeah, I've got a client right now who had endometriosis and a hysterectomy and everything just got locked up in response to, I think the surgery and then all the, um, all the pain prior. Yeah. And she's, we've, I've needled her and we've done some really cool stuff in terms of getting her pelvis moving and But she's done the Botox. She's like, I haven't had, I mean, she's like 90, 95% better. now it's taken us a couple of months because it's been a couple of years worth of issues we're having to kind of delve through, but Uh, They're, they're phenomenal. Yeah. And that just knowing the options that are on the table, besides just don't do not let somebody cut something out because it hurts. That does not answer all the questions. If you have abdominal pain, do not let them do a hysterectomy without ruling out endometriosis and some of those other um, triggers or even pelvic floor tone can increase abdominal pain because it irritates blood. Like there's so many overlapping things. If nothing else, do not let them cut on you because scar tissue creates more pain and more tension and more adhesions. Like (laughs) we just go down that cycle. That's really good advice
0: because I think doctors are just kind of like doing their best. It's like, well, here's an option and there's an option and maybe we should do this. And you go down this rabbit hole sometimes of things that like you were saying potentially may cause more problems than, than what you had to, to begin with. But I guess the message that I would want people to take away from the totality of this conversation (laughs) is if if you're having issues with pain during intercourse, A, know that you're not alone, that other women are, are facing these types of issues. People aren't talking about it, so you may feel really alone. But these are... Relatively, you know, common things that that you see in your practice that I Mm -hmm. see in my practice, and that there is hope and there is help, and you don't have to, you know, keep knocking on the doors until you get the help that you need. You know, go to therapy, see how that does, or go to your doctor, talk with them, talk with them about all the different treatment options that Mm -hmm. are there for you and keep yeah ask questions and keep going until you find somebody that can help you you may not find that person on the first or second Mm -hmm. try but you may find them you know the third person that you talk to so keep it hopeful I guess from a from a spiritual like Christian perspective I'm curious what maybe some of your thoughts are about that as far as What would you tell maybe a Christian woman who's struggling with these types of issues?
1: You know, and I think I have a nine-year-old and I've been trying to figure out how do I give her the message of your body's beautiful? You know, God created it just for you. You need to keep it holy, you know, like keep it to yourself. But at the same time, how do I get her to understand that she needs to know what it is? Like, it's okay to look at yourself. It's okay, like that is your body. You only get one. Um, kind of what I said earlier is if you don't know it, you can't expect somebody else to either, but getting comfortable with your anatomy, just knowing what, knowing the difference between a vulva and a like a vagina, like vagina is a canal, the vulva is that whole region and knowing where your pee comes out, where your poop comes out, like knowing you have three holes down there, (laughs) like knowing just what what things are, and I don't think there should be the shame around touching guys' plate. I mean, my son's fat he pulls on that thing all night long. Like <laughs> I put some underwear on. Like they, that's just a male. Well, what I've seen, my little boy, that they, it's acceptable. Like yeah. that kind of going back through the societal, you know, men are supposed to get off, and we're just supposed to help them. I think we need to have pleasure too, and we need to. I I don't know the best answer. Like, I don't think that masturbation is bad. I don't think, I think that's a message that we've got to, I have to personally figure out how to communicate with my daughter. That's something my husband and I have talked about in terms of what I like and what he likes. And are we okay doing separate things? Do we want that to be like, that just needs to be a conversation piece within the relationship. If you're single, I think it's fine to explore. You're not denying, the Bible talks about not denying your partner and not saying, you know, being consensual, but not denying your partner that, that pleasure. I can't think of the verse, but something to that extent. And so that's still a gray area and I don't have a good answer for you. Yeah. I think this
0: sense of we were created uniquely by God, you know, with a purpose, and God created us as um, physical beings, as emotional Mm -hmm. beings, as sexual beings, as spiritual beings, and somehow that's all wrapped up in the same body. Yeah. And we have to figure out, like, how those those pieces interwork with each other. I do believe that that sex is a spiritual connection when mm-hmm. you're married, you know, between you and your spouse and and that's a picture of our of our connection and our union with Christ and the church Christ and the church, yeah. so there's something really sacred and valuable and holy about sex and yet at the same time it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to because we're humans and Absolutely. our our bodies are flawed. And sometimes we go through uh, surgery or childbirth and sometimes things don't work the way they're supposed to. And knowing that that doesn't make you like, oh, gosh, I've got this horrible thing wrong with me and I need to have a yeah, bunch yeah. of shame not about it. Not letting
1: define you. Like not letting yeah. your dysfunction define you. A- acknowledging it and knowing... Yeah, you were meant for more,
0: right? Yeah, and and kind of like keep pursuing that you know that journey until that your sex is restored in your marriage and relationship. I think that that there's hope there.
1: When you look through Song of Solomon and him, I mean, he like talks about her breasts. Like he, it's a very it's I don't graphic. Know what that would sound like nowadays, like what rap song that would be, or what would, but you know it. That was God. God let that be, and God allowed that to be, and that's the Bible. Special, yeah. And I think part of that is skewed. I think with how we grew up in terms of that—that gets twisted, and it shouldn't be that way. But my husband's words is God made it, and it's not dirty if God made it that way. Like it, right? Good thing, yeah. Right.
0: Well, thank you for, for sharing some really valuable information uh, today. I feel like there's so much that we could go into and really just like we're able to scratch the surface on <laughs> things. But um, but I hope that it will be kind of like a springboard for people to go. maybe go get more education or look into some, some different uh, avenues. So since this podcast is called Hope for Anxiety and OCD, at the end of every episode, I like to ask our guests to share like a story of hope, a time that you received hope from God or another person.
1: Sure. I guess kind of what got me into this field in general was issues, with, issues after my daughter. And so in terms of kind of that rift between me and my spouse, just since we're on this topic I couldn't enjoy him. Like I remember laying in the bed crying, and then going like being able to go through courses to help my clients actually helped me. Like it it did more. Um, I guess you know you you kind of grow as your as your professional relationships with your clients grow, and I like I think that's why I am like sex is better because that communication had to occur, and I was able to. Mechanically in my brain, I went through like I went through the coursework and was like, well, that's why that hurts, because this is scarred down. And like for my brain, I needed the biomechanical, like I need somebody to explain it to me on my level that I could it it didn't hurt just because I had a baby. It hurt because I had scar tissue, because a muscle tore. And every time he went through that spot, it made it tear more. Like that made sense to me. And I think just being able to break things down on my level, gave me that ability to be like, okay, I can do something about this. This is my body. I know how to help myself. Mm. <laughs> and that, that led me down the path of, all right, now I have a second kid. Now I want to do this for other moms. Like, I don't want them to lay in the bed being miserable, dreading. Oh my gosh, he's coming. Like, is he going to want it tonight? Am I am, am I going to just cry again? Like, I want, I want to enjoy I want my partner to enjoy me. I want it to be consensual. I want to go on a date and come home and like be ravenous like the movies like I want it to be that way and I want my clients to, and my patients to be able to understand that it it can, it can be that way like, right. That there's my hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's
0: so empowering. Just to have that knowledge about your own body and why mm-hmm. it was responding the way that it was, and then realizing it doesn't always have to be this way, and I can get get some help and help myself and move forward. So
1: that's yeah, bring mean, that power great. back in your lap and understanding. I just think, like, like you said, keep searching. If there's somebody that like be your own advocate. If you don't think something's right, if you don't feel, you know, we have that good gut sixth sense. like as, as women, I think we just have something, some intuitive, something, something innately in us that helps us help each other, but also help ourselves, you know, our, our yeah. body wants to thrive too. We want that homeostasis, I guess. And so, yeah, keep searching if, if you're getting the runaround. Find help. There's a ton of us out there on social media now that you see something, you can, you know, yeah. go down that path and search search a little harder.
0: And we'll put links on uh, your information in the show notes and as well as for the book that you talked about, sure. too. So, Oh, yeah.
1: This is an thank, awesome
0: book. Thank you so much for sharing today.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your time.
0: There were so many good nuggets in that interview, and I hope it sparks some further thought and conversation in your mind if you're a woman about, how can I make my sex life better for myself and for my spouse? Do you have lingering questions from either this episode or other episodes that we've done on the show? If you are leaving with unanswered questions or feel like you want to know more about a specific issue, I would love to hear your feedback on the show because I want to make it something that you want to continue to come listen to. So you can drop me a line anytime through our website at hopeforanxietyandocd.com, and I promise to read those and respond to you. Thanks so much for listening. Hope for Anxiety and OCD is a production of By the Well Counseling in Smyrna, Tennessee. Our original music is by Brandon Mangrum and audio editing was completed by Benjamin Bynum. Until next time, may you be comforted by God's great love for you.